Welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. We're talking about peace, purpose, and power. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll finally switch over to the power mode and we'll walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, we're already many of us are. Many of you are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to teach you and equip you and help you to better walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we've been talking about the three gifts that Jesus gave after his resurrection, peace, purpose and power. We've been on purpose for a few weeks and I want to talk about your calling today. I want to talk about your calling, finding your calling, discovering your calling. You know, the Bible says in in Romans chapter eight, verse thirty seven. And I'll read this to you from I think I think the King James Bible, the New King James Bible says yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us in all these things, in all these things. We are more than conquerors. So God wants us to conquer some things. There are some things that God wants us to conquer, because in all these things that he's talking about here, death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things, present things to come, all the things that he's talking about, the persecution, the suffering, he says in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So because of his love, as expressed on the cross, as expressed in his sacrifice, as expressed through his blood, all that all of that love causes us to become something that we weren't before God showed us his love. God's always loved us, but he shows us his love and demonstrates his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't you glad he died for you? Amen. And in doing that, by showing us his love, he makes us something. He makes us something that we weren't before. We weren't conquerors before. We were less than conquerors before. We were the conquered. We were conquered by our sin. We were conquered by our pain. We were conquered by our mistakes. We were conquered by the devil. We were conquered by ourselves. But that's what we were before we were born again. But after we're born again, he makes us something different than what we were. He we were the conquered. Now we're more than conquerors. Why? Through his love. We're not more than conquerors because we conquer. We're more than conquerors because of his love. But once we discover that's who we are, then we can discover what are those things that we need to conquer. You see, you don't become a conqueror and then conquer things. You don't become a conqueror. You don't become a conqueror by conquering things. You discover who you are as more than a conqueror. And then you are equipped with the confidence, the knowledge and the assurance that you can go forth and conquer. Now, today we're going to talk about if we get to them all, there are four things that we need to learn how to conquer. But in this verse, he says in all these things and we're going to talk about four of them. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So if we're more than conquerors through him that loved us, why are so many Christians defeated? Why are so many Christians conquered by their addiction and conquered by their fears and conquered by the things that have happened to them because they don't know who they are? more than a conqueror or they don't know what they should where they should aim their target and what they should be conquering or they don't know how to conquer those things. So we're going to discover those things. We're going to find out. We already know who we are. We're more than conquerors. But now we're going to discover and identify four things that we need to conquer. And then we're going to see how to conquer those things. And so when you walk out of here, you're going to know what your calling is because your calling is found in your conquering. Your calling is found in your conquering. I began to say that several years ago when I realized 
in my life, as I look back at my life, I saw that the very thing that God had called me to was right in front of me. But I was living in fear and my limitations and my image of myself and the fears that I had were preventing me from moving forward. And the thing that was right in front of me and the worst fear or the worst, uh, the worst thing that I could think of that, that, that could happen in my life was the very thing that God was wanting me to conquer to find my calling because your calling is found in your conquering. In, in, in other words, unless you learn to conquer the thing that is coming against you, unless you learn to overcome the thing that is threatening your power and your potential, then you'll never move forward in your calling. You'll never move forward in your conquering. But as you move forward in conquering the things that are in front of you, you will continue to move one step closer to your calling. See, a lot of people want God to show them their calling. What is my life mission? What is my life calling? And I've discovered that your life mission and your life, my life mission and my life calling is to conquer the very thing that is in front of me. The very thing in front of me is the assignment that I have. It's not to discover if I'm supposed to be a missionary, if I'm supposed to be a millionaire, if I'm supposed to be a business person, if I'm supposed to be this or supposed to be that. Those are all things that God is is totally cool with any and all or a combination of them or one or, or, or none or all of them. In other words, it's not a, a job or a career that you'll find your calling in. It's conquering the thing that is right in front of you where you will find your calling. Uh, let me try to explain it this way. Because everyone in life has a calling. Everyone has a purpose. Everyone has a reason to live in survey after survey we've done and others have done when asked what's the most important thing people want to know, it's what is God's will for my life? What is my calling? What is my purpose? Why am I here? And I can say with certainty from my knowledge of the Bible, from my experience with people and my own personal experience, you'll never truly be satisfied until you discover what you were born to do. And when you can say with confidence, this is what I was born to do. There's nothing like it. Boy, when somebody says that, whether it's an athlete or somebody who's in business or somebody who's in science or somebody who's a doctor and they come to a place where they where they're not just doing that as a profession. They truly believe this is what they were born to do. Boy, it makes us think for a moment. It sometimes makes us jealous, to be honest, when you hear somebody say, I'm doing what I was born to do. And you're thinking, man, I'm not doing what I was born to do. Somebody said the other day, well, I, 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 I'm doing what I love to do. Or somebody told me they were do, they weren't doing what they love to do. And I said, I wonder how many of us are doing what we love to do. I wonder how many of us love doing what we do. I wonder if the reason we don't all love what we're doing is because we're missing the point and we're thinking we're supposed to love the job, that the job is where our fulfillment is. The title is where our fulfillment is. The career or the path we've chosen is where our fulfillment is. And that will never fulfill you, whether you're a president, whether you're the doctor, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a business developer, whatever you are in life will never satisfy you. What will satisfy you is when you realize, number one, you are more than a conqueror. And number two, you go forth conquering the four things that I'm talking about today that you were created to conquer. And when you walk in your conquering mode of those things, every time you conquer, 
you come one step closer to your ultimate life calling. So you know what? I'm not trying to figure it all out. I'm just going to learn how to conquer these four things. And as I conquer these four things, I'm stepping into my destiny. Every time I conquer one of these four things, I'm moving in God's will. I'm moving in my destiny. Oh, and it's very powerful and it's very liberating and it will set you free. Well, let me give you an example of my own life. I never imagined I'd be a pastor or a preacher, a public speaker. I never imagined that I'd be um, I never imagined that I would that I would be on TV or 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 speak in conferences, any of that stuff. I mean, when I was in eighth grade, I was in this class. It was called civics. Anybody have civics in high school, in junior high or high school? So in eighth grade, I'm in the civics class. And the teacher who I still hate to this day, Mr. Mr. Sutherland, Mr. Sutherland would pick on the students and belittle us. And we all just felt small. I felt small. I felt inferior. He was a bully and he would, you know, he would just, you know, pick just he would just, you know, really uh, show you see my bitterness coming out. But he would really. um, (laughs) He would favor the really smart ones. So I was out of that camp or you know, or the really popular ones. I missed that boat, too, Uh, or the athletic ones. I wasn't in that group either. So uh, so some of us felt left out. But one day he we come to class and he said, "Okay, uh, tomorrow uh, I'm going to select 10 of our students. There were 30 in our class or so. So I'm going to select 10 of our students. Five of you are going to argue for this position and five of you are going to argue against this position. It doesn't matter what you believe about it. I'm going to assign to you your position and five. So he assigned a debate. He said, tomorrow I'm going to assign a debate. And I was so scared because to me, my biggest fear was speaking in front of people, talking to talking in public. I wasn't that guy. I was never thought I would be that guy. And I wasn't that guy when people would tell stories. I remember in first grade kids sitting around, you know how they'd have the tables of like four or five students at a table. And people would talk in these at these tables and maybe uh, your first grade or second grade was different than mine. But that's how it was like four of us would be at a look like a big table. It wasn't individual desks at that time. It was a four or five of us at one table around each. And and I remember the other kids would tell stories and I would listen to their stories, but I could never tell one. I'm still not very good at it either, as you can see. I'm trying. I'm working on it. But I would be like I would just be silent. I would be so afraid to speak up. I wouldn't be able to remember the story, wouldn't have a story, wouldn't be able to tell it right. And they'd tell these little kids, man, first graders. I wish I could know where each of them were today because they'd make fun of me because I would always be quiet and I was really shy. I'd be making fun of them right now if I knew where they were. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I I hold no grudges. But the point is. (laughs) So, Mr. Sutherland. He said, tomorrow we're picking 10 students to be in this debate. So you know what? The next day class came, but I didn't. (laughs) I stayed home, hid behind the couch until my parents went to work. And then I found my calling in watching TV all day. That's why you hear me quote Fred Sanford, Gilligan. Bobby Brady, Jan. So so what happened was I stayed home that day and just to be safe. I stayed home the next day, too, (laughs) just in case he only got nine the first day 
I'm not going to be the 10th. I didn't come back to class until I heard from some of my friends. I didn't come back to class until I heard from some of my friends that the debate was over. <laughs> you can't get away with that stuff then now. But back then you could skip school and maybe not, you know, nobody know or they don't they didn't they didn't call home or if they called home, I answered. <laughs> Hello. Uh, your students not in school, you know, little Greg. Well, I've taken him out for the next couple of days because we have a family uh, we have a family situation that um, I just wish you that you I would you I wish you I wish you would just let him off for the next few days and just he's got an excused absence. OK, he's not coming in. Click. Um, but uh, that was me. Scaredy cat. Didn't want the debate, didn't want to go, didn't want to watch, didn't want to pick a side, didn't want to ever speak in front of people. So I get through that and I think I'm safe. Ninth grade comes, I'm safe. Tenth grade is as bad as high school was. I drugged myself and drank myself to oblivion so that I could forget all my fears and all my worries, at least for the time being. Get saved uh, just before my senior year in high school and graduate and go to college and 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 God speaks to me and says, I want you to preach. Oh, no, Lord, I'm not preaching. I'm taking English. <laughs> I'm taking English. So I picked English as my major. And at the end of the first day of class is my junior year. Every one of the professors says for the last project of this semester, each student is going to give a public speech in front of all the students. Since I'm now more than a conqueror at that point, I dropped my major. <laughs> <laughs> I got to find something else. I can't speak in front of people. And little by little, though, God began to chip away at my fears by making me and continuing to put me in situations or life continue to put me in situations where I had to speak to the point where God said, I want you to go after class and talk to students as they're walking by and preach the gospel to them. And I literally would go to my class in college. Then during the 10 minute break between classes, I would get up and I would preach out loud to the students as they were walking by and tell them about Jesus. And I was a terrible preacher. And I'm telling you, nobody got saved. I got spit on. I got laughed at. I got mocked. I think I still have a picture in the newspaper. I got my hand out. It's in the middle of winter. Snow's coming down. I got my glove on. It had a rip in it. The, 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 it's just like it's vividly remember it. Got these dark glasses on because I bought those dark glasses from before I got saved when I was on drugs. Nobody could tell I hid behind these dark glasses and I still have this picture of me preaching on the college campus and I don't know how I got there except that God kept pushing me to conquer the fear of speaking in public because my calling was found in my conquering. My calling was found in my conquering and your calling is found in your conquering too. You know, Michelangelo is by far, in my opinion, the greatest artist that ever lived besides God himself. And Michelangelo, his greatest, well, one of his greatest 
feats was the Statue of David. It sits in a museum in Florence, Italy today, and it's the most glorious statue that you'll ever see. In fact, they say that there's a little plaque underneath it and says once you've seen this, you will not want to look at any of the other displays in this entire museum. And you really don't. You don't care. That's the only reason to go. It's the only thing we're seeing. And when you see it, you marvel at it. But what Michelangelo did to achieve this beautiful statue of David was he didn't turn a marble block into a person. He saw David in the block while it was damaged, while it was broken marble, while it was in a uh, excavation pit where they said nobody can make anything out of this. It was thrown away. He found it thrown away. And other artists, contemporary artists in that day mocked him and said this thing is useless. This is a piece of marble that is of no value. But Michelangelo saw David in it. Michelangelo didn't make David from it. Michelangelo saw David in it and then chipped away at the marble pieces until David emerged. David was always there in Michelangelo's eyes. He saw him when he looked at that damaged block of marble. He saw David. Everybody else just saw damage. He saw David. And the reason I I say that to you is because when you look at yourself, you might just see damage. You might just see your weakness. When you think of what other people think of you, when they look at you, they might just see a damaged piece of marble, too. But God doesn't see that. God sees David in you. God sees greatness in you. God sees the angel in you. God sees the power in you. God sees the calling in you. God sees this hero, this champion, this man or woman of God. He sees you in your calling and he sees you in your completeness and he sees you in your destiny and he sees the potential in you and everything is happening in your life right now today. For those that trust Jesus right now, what's happening in your life is things are getting chipped away by God, not because he's trying to inflict pain upon you, but he's trying to chip away the things that are preventing you from seeing who you really are. And he's chipping away at the things that are preventing others from seeing who you really are, because there's a David inside of you. There's a giant inside of you. There's a greatness inside of you. There's power inside of you. And God is going to great lengths to bring you to a church that's chipping away at the false images of yourself, chipping away at the roughness in your life. You know what? You know why you ran into Sister Sandpaper is because you needed to be smoothed (laughs) off a little and you needed some rough edges smooth. You know, the reason why you ended up being roommates in college with Brother Rub or Sister Sandpaper is because that person was the best thing that could get the the rough edges off of you so the real you could begin to emerge. But when you run from that stuff, when you run from church, when you run from giving, when you run from your fears, when you run from serving, when you run from volunteering, when you run from sharing your faith, when you run from those things, you're running from your calling. You're like Jonah jumping in the water, hoping that um, that you can escape the calling that God has on your life. And it doesn't have to be a calling to preach. It's just a calling to greatness. It's a calling to your destiny. It's a calling to to fulfill the ultimate potential to be the best version of yourself. But when you run from it, you can't ever get to it. When you run from it. You're not giving God anything to work with. Run to it. Realize this. You're going to be afraid sometimes. It's going to feel it's going to feel scary sometimes. You feel like you are taking a risk sometimes. Tithing, forgiving somebody, uh, writing that letter of apology, uh, going to somebody and telling them about Jesus or just handing them a little card, inviting them to church or inviting them to hear the gospel in a little short paragraph. Let me tell you something. Every one of those things that your heart beats rapidly about and you run from are the very thing that you should run to, because that will bring you one step closer 
to your calling, to your destiny, to your ultimate potential. And I'm telling you, inside of you is greatness and you need to let the word of God chip away at wrong thinking. Let it chip away at your fears. Let it chip away at your worries. Let it chip away at your self-hatred. Let it chip away at your low self-worth. Let it chip away until you realize I'm God's child. I'm a masterpiece. There's a David in me. There's greatness in me. There's power in me. There's anointing in me. There's a purpose in me. Something has to happen, though. You feel damaged like that piece of marble. Michelangelo conquered a block of stone because he saw what was inside of it and he kept clearing away the obstacles until David was revealed. Everyone has obstacles keeping our destiny locked inside of us. Every one of us has rocks and marble covering our greatness, mistakes, things that people have done to us, things that we've done that are blocking the true image of who we really are. Like Joseph shared uh, earlier, Ephesians 1:11 is our is our young people, our uh, our kids camp, uh, the children's camp in the summer. It's based on Ephesians 1:11, and it's all about it says in Ephesians 1:11 in the Message Bible, it is only in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It is only in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. And you see inside of you, inside of you is who you are when you're born again. It's who you are and what you're living for. And you only discover what you're living for when you first discover who you are and you're willing to chip away at anything else that your mistakes say about you, anything else that your past says about you, anything else that other people have said about you, anything else that Mr. Sutherland said about you. Everybody's got a Mr. Sutherland in their life, right? Everybody has had one of those. And um, and God can use even them to bring about God's glory. Everyone in life has a set of weaknesses, defects, fears, inhibitions. We grow up with them and our willingness to clear them away, our willingness to to I hate to use this word because it doesn't quite capture it, but to reinvent ourselves. But we're not actually doing the reinventing. God has reinvented us. He has recreated us. That's what it means to be born again. And then he gives us his word to renew our minds, to adopt his view of him and his view of ourselves, because anything else is idolatry. Let me tell you something. When we, we sometimes we think idolatry is like worshiping some other God, but idolatry is having any other image of yourself other than the view and the image that God has of you. So if you think you're a loser, that's idolatry because it's contrary to what God thinks about you. God thinks you're a winner. God thinks you're the head and not the tail. God thinks you're above only and not beneath. So anytime you accept a different belief about you, even if it sounds humble, it's idolatry because it doesn't line up with God's image of you, God's view of you, the David inside of you. Well, our willingness to clear those things out of our lives is what will cause us 
and will determine the degree to which we experience God's purpose for our lives, his calling for our lives. My weaknesses, my idiosyncrasies, my fears had to be conquered or they would have fenced me in to the previous version of myself that life defined me as, that my mistakes defined me as, that other people's mistakes define me as. Are you with me still? So what do we do if our calling is found in our conquering? Then what are the things that we're supposed to conquer in all these things? We're more than conquerors. So what are the things we're we're supposed to conquer? Number one, first, we must conquer our past. We must conquer our past. How do we do that? I'm not saying to crawl into a fetal position and go see a therapist and make sure that you, you know, just return to your baby state and try to get healed from the inner wounds of your life when you were when you were three months old, three weeks old in the mother's womb, outside of the mother's womb. No, what I'm talking about is conquering the 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 image you have of yourself that was shaped by your past. So look, we our upbringing, our weaknesses will condition us to stay small, to stay limited, to stay insecure and to stay lonely. They 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 did to me anyway. And the DNA of our past, you see, your past programs you to a future that looks just like it in a maturer form. And so we can't let the DNA of our past program our future. We have to obliterate the DNA of our past. We have to be willing to realize that even though our parents probably all tried their best, we we grew up with mindsets, whether we were whether we adopted them from our parents, whether we adopted them from school or from others, we grew up with mindsets that define us and limit us. And God wants to obliterate those so that there are no limits, so that there are no mindsets that control you or cage you or keep you from passing through that invisible fence that keeps shocking you every time you get near it. I'm going to tell you right now, you got to first conquer your past life history, people's expectations, your education. These are all things from your past that try to program you and try to determine your future. And that's okay if your history is great, if your education was supreme, if your expectations have always been high and if your upbringing was perfect. But for most of us, it's not so. So what do we do? We have to disengage from the preconceived images and ideas that we've had of ourselves. We have to be willing to make a deliberate break from the patterns of those we grew up with or of how we grew up, not to leave out the good things, but you understand what I'm talking about, the mindsets, the prejudices, the things that were fed to us in our upbringing that say these people you can never trust and these people are always inferior or this is something you'll never be or don't try to, you know, like the story of the of the eagle egg that that dropped accidentally from the eagle's nest into the chicken uh, coop and it grew up as a chicken, even though it was an eagle and it grew up with all his brothers and sisters being chickens. And so they just cackle and cackle. And here this eagle was as he's growing, he's cackling just like the chickens because that's what he grew up with. Even though he was an eagle inside, even though he had the wings of an eagle, he saw himself like a chicken until one day he saw a bunch of eagles flying overhead and he looked up at those eagles until and thought, man, what wouldn't it be great if I could fly like that one day? 
until one of his brother chickens looked at him and said, don't even think about it. See, that's the problem right there that we never think about it because someone tells us not to dream. Someone tells us not to imagine. Someone tells us it can't be done. Someone tells us we'll never amount to that. Someone tells us you'll always be this or you'll always be that or you'll never be rich or you'll never have a great business or you could never start your own business or you could never get married to the best kind of person or you could never have this or you could never break that addiction or you'll never stop being depressed or you'll never break that anxiety or you'll never be free from panic attacks or you'll never be free from that diabetes or you'll never be free from that sickness or what happened in your life and what you did. It'll mark you the rest of your life. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. God doesn't look at you that way. God doesn't mark you with those mistakes. Those are just pieces of marble around your David. And God is going to continue to chip away at those. Those things are not you. Those are the things that are trying to keep you bound inside and keep you uh, hidden inside. And God is breaking those things out of you. That's why he brought you here today. That's why you're here today, so that you could be awakened to the greatness, the greatness that's inside of you. Number one, number one, you got to conquer your past. You got to conquer your past. Your sins have been cleansed. You've been washed by the blood of Jesus. Acknowledge the mistakes you made, acknowledge the mistakes that were made against you and then surround yourself with people that are already in the future. Receive God's mercy and then surround yourself with the people that are already in the future that you want. And stay away and pull away from the people that want to keep you stuck in their past and your past. Number two, we must conquer our pain. We must conquer our pain. I had a vision once of a man who had a knife in his side. I saw this. Somebody was talking to me and prophesying and I saw this. There was a knife in his side. And. It was stuck there. And he wouldn't pull it out. The knife in his side, he wouldn't pull it out. The knife represented the pain that others had brought into his life, inflicted him with. Yet inside of him were all these great treasures and great things, including people that would come forth from his side. But everything that was inside of him couldn't couldn't come out because the knife was still stuck in there. You see, sometimes you have to bleed a little so that the blood and then the water can come out. This taught me something since the knife was blocking. The flow of life from within from within this person in this vision. First, it told me that if we don't pull the knife out and stop nursing our pain, no good can come forth from our lives. We will build our life around our pain. Rather than pulling the knife out and making no excuses anymore for our limitations. We'll blame our failure to reach our potential on the knife that's in our side. It gives us a convenient excuse to not break free, to not break out, to not break forth, to not break through. It gives us a convenient excuse to stay the same. It gives us a convenient excuse to blame somebody else. It gives us a convenient excuse to stay limited and defeated and defined by our past. The second thing it showed me was the wounds that others create, the wounds that others create 
are sometimes the only path by which life can flow. The wounds that others create actually create the hole or the path for life to flow. Consider Jesus for a moment on the cross when the misinformed and the ignorant soldier stuck a knife in his side or a sword in his side until what happened in John chapter 19, verse 34, until this happened, until all the blood came out and then the water came out. You see, the blood and the water represent two things that came out of Jesus wound. You know what that those two things are? The blood represents the washing away of your sins, all of them. The blood washes away all your sins and the blood unless the blood was shed, unless the unless the soldier put the sword in Jesus side, the blood would not have flowed out. The water would not have flowed out. The blood represents the washing away of all your sins and the water represents the washing away of all the mindsets that defined you, limited you and kept you back. You see, blood represents cleansing of your sins and water represents the renewing of your mind, the washing away of old ways of thinking that have limited you and have defeated you all of your life. So let the blood flow. Pull the knife out. Stop using it as an excuse. Stop letting stop letting it plug up all the life that's going to come out of you, the souls that are going to become out of you, the light, the destiny that's inside of you, the David that's inside of you, the greatness that's inside of you. Pull that knife out and stop being afraid of how bad it's going to hurt when you pull it out. Just like you get a splinter out, it's going to stay in there the whole time. It's going to hurt you deeper until you pull that thing out. But it hurts when you pull it out. Let me tell you something. Yes, it might hurt when you pull that knife out. But what's going to flow out of that is going to be life and death destiny and dreaming and greatness and David and power and God's original intention and what God sees. Stop putting your trust in. And really, we put our trust in what people did to us by giving that, giving them power by saying what they did to us is powerful and it's keeping me from my future. But when we pull the knife out and say it doesn't have power over me, Let the blood flow. Let the water flow. It doesn't have power over me. Pull the knife out, endure the pain and conquer the pain of pulling the knife out. Conquer the pain of holding on to the blame game. Stop the blame game. It hurts to not blame anybody anymore. It hurts sometimes to take responsibility for your. Oh, I don't know if I'm in the right place here today. It hurts sometimes to take responsibility for your own life and your own decisions. But when you realize you have the power over your future, not what happened in your past, not what pain has been inflicted upon you, pull the knife out. It does not have to control you anymore. The wound of an ignorant and misguided Roman soldier opened the way for blood to flow and new life to be born. And the wound that people have inflicted upon you does not stop God's potential. It releases it when you have a different perspective about pain. It can't control me. It can't defeat me. It's only temporary. Second Corinthians three seventeen says or verse or second Corinthians four verse seventeen for momentary light for momentary light affliction is working inside of me. Momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, the things which are eternal. We got to conquer our pain. You conquer your pain by realizing it's been washed, it's been healed. Jesus is your healer. Ask him to heal you. Don't be afraid of hurting. Don't be afraid of the hurt of pulling the knife out 
Don't be afraid of the hurt that comes from forgiving, the hurt that comes from releasing it, the hurt that comes from turning it over to God. Don't be afraid of forgiveness because it's not a feeling. It's a decision. It's a decision. Don't forgive because you feel it. Forgive because you choose it. And you will be and that's how you conquer. That's how you conquer your pain. Consider your past pain to be present gain. We have to realize that our pain, once conquered, produces a sensitivity to others. Others that are hurting, others that are suffering, it makes us stronger and it makes us able to endure what's coming next. Otherwise, you can't endure what's coming next. You just are buried by pain. And God didn't create you to be buried by it. He created you to be healed from it, to use it as a stepping stone rather than a stumbling stone, to use it as a as an opportunity rather than as an excuse. Well, and then how do you conquer your pain? You speak to it. Employ the power of your words. Words bring healing. Proverbs 12, 18 says the tongue of the wise is healing. Words restore. Words restore, words heal, words build, speak only words of restoration, words of healing, words of encouragement and edification, and you will conquer your pain. Hi, it's Gregory Dickow, and thanks so much for listening to this podcast. And I want to say a special thank you to all of you who have partnered with me in support of our Harvest Fund that's reaching the world. For those of you that don't know, I'm on a mission to see 30 million souls saved and lives transformed over the next few years. So many people around the world have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. Others have never heard the gospel because they're blind or they can't read. They're in a third world country. That's why we started the Harvest Fund. And with your help, we're putting audio Bibles into the hands of precious people who have been forgotten or minimized by society. If you want to learn more about what we're accomplishing with the Harvest or make a gift today, visit HarvestFund.org. And thanks so much for helping me spread the gospel and cover the earth with the love of God.